We're in Romans chapter 7 today. Um, You're welcome to follow along with us. Uh, There's Bibles in front of you. One of the things I always want to invite you to do is if you want to read the Bible with us, we'd love for you to do that. Uh, We read using the SOAP method, which is Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer, which means we read the Bible, we notice what it says, we ask how that applies to our life, and we ask God to change us in that way, in a really simple way. And so we read a chapter a week, or a chapter a day uh, during weekdays and Saturdays, like you might have seen on my uh, social media. Saturdays are for catching up when the week was really, really busy. And so that's uh, what I was doing yesterday was I was catching up. We're, and we're in Romans in there, but we're also in Romans here. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see members, I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me through this body of death? Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So then with my mind I am slave, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Last week, we talked a little bit about obedience to Christ and what that looks like. But today, I want to start with what uh, Paul says in chapter 7, verse 21. Here's what he says. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Do you find this to be a law? Do you find this to be a natural thing? Uh, Eugene Peterson actually translates this differently, and I went, oh yes. Here's what he said. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. And I went, yes, that feels exactly like my life. The moment I decide to do the right thing, there's something there that says you should do this other thing. You should try something different. Why don't you try it your way or some other way? You should, it, it trips us up right in front of us. And I think what's fascinating about this is in the middle of some of our, our trying to do the right thing, we have this tension in us that says, I love God and I want to do things because God's taught me to do them. And so I decide to do them and then I get to going to do it and then it all falls apart. Maybe that's not your life, but it is my life. And it's almost always in terms of like, I start shouting and I'm going, this is not me and this is not what I should be saying and this is not who I am and yet somehow I'm angry and so I'm yelling in a moment. It is so hard to do the right thing every day. And I wonder, why is this so tough? And here's how Paul says this. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. And that's where, when Paul starts to explain why it's so hard to do the thing that we want to do, he says, well, you know, there's this spiritual law, and it's so good, and it makes us, it makes us, we think about it, and we say this is a really good idea, and then we open our mouth, but it turns out that our spirit is in a body, and we need our bodies. We need, you can't go somewhere. You can't really do much of anything without your physical 
presence. Does that make sense? Your body is a very important thing, and you should take care of it. In fact, the most over-quoted uh, um, verse in, in dieting is, your body is a temple, which it is, but it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is also important. You have this body that doesn't work right, and then you have this spirit that is of God, and they're joined together. And the tension is, what's going to be in charge? What is going to lead you, and what's going to make you do what you're called to do? God convicts our spirit and convinces our minds, but we still have our bodies. And we have this weird condition that Paul explains so well. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I do the very thing that I hate. I can't tell you how often I feel this. It's, it's I want to do this one thing, but I want to do the other thing. I say to myself, and maybe you've struggled with this, because as your pastor, you need to know Bible reading is a struggle for me because I am distractible. Sitting quietly and doing one thing at one time is a very difficult thing. Silent prayer is harder, by the way. This is just not where I'm at. I pray better on the golf course than I do in my room, which is a good excuse for you to buy me a golf membership. No, I'm just kidding. Um, That's not really the truth. But the reality is, is that this is work for me. And when I think about who I am and how I'm wired, I have to work at some of these things And the reality is, is sometimes when I think I decide to do it, you know, I set my alarm for six o'clock every morning, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm really good at it for a day. Sometimes, too, and then I'm tired because there was a game on last night, and I stayed up late, and bed is comfy, and it's nice, and I don't really want to move, and so I just sort of push the button and ignore the fact that my alarm was ever on. And I don't use the snooze button. I use that other button that just shuts the thing off because I don't want to listen to it anymore. You know, maybe you have this talent too. There is, by the way, now some sort of ejector seat bed that throws you out of bed in the morning or an alarm clock that is like a ball that spins and runs around your room and you have to chase it. I still don't think either of those things would work when I'm really sleepy. And so it's frustrating to think about this. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what I believe I'm called to do, to read my Bible and pray right away in the morning. But it's so frustrating that when I actually come down to make the decision, I don't get there. And so, but it's also true of bigger things. I lose my temper. I sometimes think about things, I think things about people that I wish I didn't. You know, I don't think about people in the best possible light. Uh, I have this tendency to open my mouth and talk more than I should, uh, especially, you know, just about my own personal stuff and about the personal stuff of people who are very close to me, who they really prefer that I didn't share. Um, Really, it's weird. It's like professional stuff is great, but Jen tells me something. I'm like, hey, y'all gotta know, which is really a bad plan when you're married. Don't tell your wife secrets, especially not from the stage at a church. Um, And that's... Some of you are like, who is, if you're visiting today, you're like, who is this guy? And I need you to know that seriousness is not my spiritual gift. Um, Here we go. But we get into this situation where it's so frustrating, and I don't do the things that I wish that I would do. But I love that Paul says this, that, that we have this gift of God. Back in the chapter before that we were studying, we said that we have, um, or we said this last week, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so if we have a gift from God, 
How does the gift apply when we keep doing these things that we wish we wouldn't do? The gift of God can help us in this situation, and it helps us by telling us that confessing our sin is the only way to put it in its place. The only way to take something that is so difficult and so destructive as sin, because if, we're gonna, if we want a definition of sin, it's simply this, the way that we um, don't follow God or the way that we hurt one another. And the only way to put that in its place, the only way to not make it bigger and bigger and bigger is to say, this is what I did. This is where I am. I'm going to confess and ask for forgiveness. You see, when we hide it, when we bear it, and when you do the thing that I would do normally, which is I pretend it's not there and I don't want to talk about it, um, we, we tend to make a bigger and bigger and bigger mess. Picture it this way. Picture it this way. You're standing in the middle of a kitchen, a big hard floor all around you, and it's wide open. And you go to the fridge, and you step back, and you take out a glass pitcher of something good to drink, whatever it is that you like to drink. And as you're going to pour it, it slips out of your hand, and it smashes on the ground. And you realize in that moment that you're standing there barefoot. And the thing about it is, is that in that moment, there's glass in every direction. There is nowhere for you to go. The only way to keep yourself safe is to keep your feet planted in the spot where they are. And the only way to deal with it is to ask for help. I think sometimes when we start to see brokenness in our lives, when we start to see hurt and pain and suffering, and especially when we realize that we may have been part of the cause of that, it's kind of like looking around and there's glass everywhere. And our temptation is to think, okay, how can I fix this? How can I put it all back together? How can I make it work? But the only solution when you see that, when you do that, is to call out for somebody else in the house or to hope your phone is in your pocket or to wait until somebody else comes home who can help you because you're sort of stuck in that moment. There's really nowhere to go. It doesn't do any good to think positively and say, you know what, you know, I've, I've done— I've, I've not dropped as many pictures as I have dropped, right? You know, we say this, I, I, I'm more good than bad. And it's like, it doesn't really work in this situation. There's glass everywhere. It's a mess and you have to deal with this. Well, the good outweighs the bad. No, not in this moment. It sure doesn't. In this moment, you're dealing with this reality where you're stuck and you need help. We need help. The gift of God is eternal life. And the way to eternal life is God says to you and to me that when we ask for forgiveness, we will get it every single time. We need help from God. Just like we need help from each other in some situations, we need help from God over and over again because God's gift to us is that brokenness never gets the last word. Brokenness will never be the thing that has the last to say about you. And when we break things, we have this urge to run, to hide, to bury it, to pretend that it didn't exist, to move away from it, and to run away. But instead, God says, bring it to me. Let me be a part of this. What do we do about our constant urge to run from God? That's where Paul goes right here. Here's what he says. Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells in me. And he adds, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I do. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I keep deciding to do the right thing, but I don't know what to do. And I'm not sure how to get there from here. Uh, William Barclay, who was a theologian in the 20th century, uh, began to share how this worked. And he said there are three responses that just don't fix what's going on in our lives. He said there's three things that we can't do. The first is this. We can't know enough to do the right thing. I'm a Lutheran, and many of you are Lutherans. If you're not a part of this, if you're a member of the church, you're already a Lutheran. Ta-da! But if you grew up Lutheran, you know this, that we put a high value on education. Every Lutheran pastor you've ever had had a four-year bachelor's degree and a four-year master's degree. We spend a lot of time learning. We don't let people teach generally without giving them lots of head knowledge. And we want to make sure that people know a lot about faith before they step in to be able to lead people. We have a high value of knowledge. But Barclay says we can never know enough to do the right thing. And why is that? Here's what I've learned. Knowledge is easy to set aside in practice. I know that donuts are the reason that I can't lose the last 10 pounds that I want to lose. But that doesn't work when I'm at Sandy's. Does that make sense? You know, I know the right thing, but I get there and I'm like, I want the maple bacon fried thing, please, right now. Hmm, this will be good. Knowledge is easy to set aside when we get into the middle of it. Second, he said this, we can't resolve to do the right thing. I'm just going to will myself to do it. Our resolve in the face of temptation, our resolve in the face of our own desire to do what we want to do will wither. I think sometimes we just decide, like, I'm going to follow God in all of me right now. That works for like an hour. But then life shows up. One of the reasons I like going on trips where the students are is that it's really easy to do it because it's this whole group of people who talk about God all the time, which is amazing. You should go on a trip like that. It's an amazing week. Some of you are going, I could never get on the bus. I promise it was so hard for me not to get on the bus and ditch you all this morning because I wanted to go for 30 hours and then spend a day at a conference or four days at a conference. It's an amazing experience of community when everybody's going the same way. But in the middle of our daily lives, our resolve will fade because we don't have that kind of support in all of our, all of our endeavors. And the pressure of what's going on in the world will make us go a different direction. So we can't know enough to do the right thing. We can't resolve to do the right thing. And third, we can't understand enough to figure out what's wrong. You see, sometimes we think, like, if I could just get to the root cause of my issue, then I'll figure it out. The root cause of our issue is that we're sinful. I actually know what's going on. We have all kinds of other hurts and pains that are going on in our lives, but the root cause, if we dig down and dig down and dig down and dig down and we finally get to the bottom, the reality is, is that our bodies want to do what our bodies want to do. And no matter how much our mind says, Lord, I'm so excited you're here, our flesh says, but I'm going to go do that thing. And we need to know that it's not just figuring out what the cause of it is. If it's not knowledge, will, or resolve that will help us, what will? Here's what I believe will. Life in Christ is the process of drowning the old Adam, the old self, over and over and over. 
Why do we say drowning? Because it starts there. It starts in the waters of baptism. Some of you were brought as small children. Some of you were a part of this as you were older. Some of you have been a part of something like baptism even more than once in your lives. And, but in an amazing way, we have this image that God says, I need you to know that you can't do it, so let me. I need you to know that it's not about you fixing things, making things better, changing yourself. Let me work on you. Martin Luther, who the Lutheran Church is named after, uh, had this famous saying. He said, when you think about your daily bath, think about it like a daily baptism, where you go into the waters and God washes you clean again. And it's another reminder again and again and again of what God is doing for you, because we can't do it. God says, I will drown that part of you, and I will bring out a new person. And we say, there is this tension because I do what I want and I don't do what I want and I live in this tension between the two. And God says, come to me again and let me wash you clean. Come to me again and know that I love you. Come to me again and be drowned again and be raised again. Let me take that old life from you and let me give you new life. Today and tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives, we know this reality. Then when we want to fix our hurt and our brokenness, it's not about us at all. It's about us admitting what we admit toward the end of almost every service. That we've sinned, and we need God, and we're asking him to forgive us again. We can't do it. Only God can. Paul finishes his writing by saying this, wretched man that I am. Paul is like a hero of the faith. He writes a good third of the New Testament. He is an amazing human being. His words about himself are wretched man that I am. This should go to tell you that everybody knows their brokenness better than the rest of the world. I know the things that I've done that are broken better than all of you know about me. And you know about you better than anybody else. If you have a spouse or somebody who lives in your house with you, they probably have a pretty good idea, but even they don't know it all. Paul points this out, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we don't trust ourselves. We trust Jesus. This is what we need close at hand. When we're not sure what to do and we're not sure how this brokenness, brokenness is going to affect us, when we say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that again, I need you to know that you're not alone and that you don't need to be afraid and that you don't need to run because the God of the universe loves you so much that he will heal that in your life, that he'll make you new. This is the prayer that we need close at hand, and I wanted to write out this prayer because I wanted to share it with you. I'm going to invite, um, we're going to finish up here as we, as we take these next couple of minutes, and I want to pray with you, but I'd love to pray for you as well. And so if you would pray with me. God, I know what you call me to do. It sounds wonderful. And I wish I could choose you, but somehow I don't. Remind me that you're always forgiving me, always working on me, and always with me. Help me put my trust in you and remind me of your love even when I can't remember it. 
We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and together God's people said, Amen.